may be seated. I believe that love has a name. Amen? Amen. And uh, I know sometimes when you look at other religions and other deities that are worshipped, it becomes clearly obvious that the God we serve is radically different from all others. In fact, just the notion of creation, that as, as, a, as God, he was above humanity. Most of the gods of the world have human characteristics of that sense of our involved in, uh, you know, they live, they come down to earth, they procreate, they all of those things, whether it's the Greeks or the Romans or Hindu or others, there is that sense of being uh, very much uh, different from uh, Jehovah. Of course, uh, those that worship Allah would say they worship the same God, although their uh, prophet, uh, you can study, has uh, Muhammad was, um, uh, in a sense, um, tried to um, maintain that anyone that didn't serve God would be killed, whereas Jesus took a very different approach. He would not let uh, Peter fight for him in the garden. And so what a privilege it is to know the Lord. And I was thinking as I was talking this morning about Elijah and talking about fathers and Father's Day. And I know at times fathers probably discipline a little less emotionally than mothers. And um, they are a little more directive in their uh, uh, approach and they're a l little less maybe um, uh, emotional. Uh, typically uh, dads are able to sort of do what they call tough love and uh, that sense and yet there is the danger of, of becoming too aggressive and uh, then there is the ditch on the other side of the road where you abdicate. And Jesus, there were several examples that I could have used and that we talked about this morning about Jesus really uh, confronted and yet this story of Elijah was about a prophet that confronted evil and then the Lord separated him and told him not to basically say anymore for three years and then finally the showdown happened and sometimes it's hard to imagine that the Lord is still in control when in fact he has sort of the heavens are brass or it seems like he's not operating and I found a, a verse I was reading in the Psalms and David wrote this in uh, Psalms the 78th chapter and I put it uh, a couple slides I think it's slide 15 Psalms uh, the 78th chapter 
<clears throat> because I really had never noticed this before. I'd read it, but um, it goes along with that sense of the Lord hiding. David recorded these words. He said, for they provoked him to anger, talking about God, with their high places and moved him to jealousy with their graven image. And when the Lord heard this, he was wroth and greatly abhorred. That means he hated Israel. Man, I, I wouldn't want God to get on my bad side like that, would you? Now that was Old Testament. And it said that he delivered his strength into captivity. So the day the Lord was captured, I guess you could call that verse, a whole sermon, his glory into the enemy's hands, and he gave his people over also to the sword and was wroth or angry with his inheritance. It's, it's an interesting story because that story is about found in 1 Samuel the 4th chapter and 1 Samuel the 5th chapter and with uh, Eli who was the high priest and you know Samuel uh, was... Uh, a miracle child that was uh, allowed to stay in, in uh, the temple and be a servant basically to Eva, Eli and Eli had two sons Hophni and Phinehas and they were very wicked they were extremely wicked and the Bible says they, they literally would uh, were blatant or flaunted their wickedness it wasn't they weren't trying to hide anything and that finally uh, they went to fight the Philistines. And this is talking about how in Shiloh, uh, the Lord basically, uh, they had the ark there in Shiloh. And so uh, they thought, well, at least if we go and bring the ark, the presence of God, if I invoke that, then I'm going to have victory. We sang, we heard him sing a song, beautiful worship about, you know, love has a name, Jesus, and all those wonderful things that I have said in Jesus' name and invoked the name of the Lord. And yet they were doing it knowing there was wickedness and evil that they were doing. And so they thought if I just bring the ark, everything will be fine. Well, they brought the ark and guess what? It, didn't, it wasn't fine. The enemy captured the ark and they took it and put it up in their, uh, in their, uh, in front of their altar, sort of as bowing down to Dagon. And those of you who've read 1 Samuel 4 and 1 Samuel 5, and I know it's just us here and people are at camp and all of those things, you know, we, we look and, and you can probably, many of you tell me what happened. But they brought out the next morning when they came in, their big stone God was face down on the ground. And it was like, wow. So it must have been an accident. Couldn't be the ark, it couldn't be Jehovah because Jehovah didn't deliver them and so he can't be stronger than our God and so they stuck their God back up 
on its pedestal. And the next night when they, they went to bed, the next morning they got up and their God was fallen again and his hands and feet were broken off. And so they were like, wow, this is more power than we can handle. So basically they uh, allowed uh, you know, the children of Israel to basically get back the Ark of the Covenant. But when David wrote about it, under inspiration of the Holy Ghost. He used the phrase that he delivered his strength into captivity and his glory into the enemy's hands. What are you saying? I'm saying that I, I, it, it, God is never out of control. It may seem like he has tied his own hands or that he is not responding. I don't know why. Maybe it was because of Hophni and Phinehas. Maybe he wanted to teach the children of Israel a lesson. Whatever it was, maybe he wanted to teach the Philistines a lesson and destroy Dagon. I don't know why he allowed the ark to be captured. I don't know why he allowed something like that to happen. And David wrote about it, that he delivered his glory into the enemy's hands and gave his people under the sword and was wroth with his inheritance. So you say, well, what do you mean? Was, was the Lord getting on to them? No, he was basically uh, uh, withdrawing his presence so that the enemy could attack them and hoping that they would cry out and say, Lord, we need you. You see, God does not punish like that. He is not after us to, to, to punish us, but he is there to somehow, if, if all of a sudden he withdraws his, his favor for a moment, it is so that I realize, you know what? I need God. I need God in my life. I need God in my home. I need God in my family. I need God all the time. Oh, you say, but I, I don't know. All of a sudden, if I went from mountaintop to mountaintop, to mountaintop would I ever pray? Huh? Oh, I would, Pastor. I would, I would be on my knees. I promise you, I would. I don't understand why I'm struggling, why I have this ache, why I have this situation, why my family, why my, you know what? The answer is not why, it's who. Lord, I know you are able to do whatever it is that I need. I don't know why I'm battling that, but I don't know why I've got this problem. But what I do know is I'm serving a God that is able to bring the victory. There is no God like our God. There is no power like the power of the blood of the Lamb. And I realize, in fact, you, when you go to the next slide, it, it, we get to the ultimate victory. The Bible says they sing the song of Moses whenever they were, came out of, the, uh, out of Egypt in Exodus, the uh, 14th chapter, and they were delivered. They sang the song of victory. And whenever you go into Revelation, the 14th chapter, they sing the song of Moses. And there's a whole nother song of victory and ultimate triumph. Triumph. But before we get to the song of Moses, there's another song that's going to be sung in heaven, and that is the song of the Lamb. Revelation, the fifth chapter, 
in the third verse, whenever John saw, he was looking and he said, there was no man in heaven or in earth nor under the earth that was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And then he said, finally, I saw the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, and it stood as a lamb that had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred, tribe, people, nation, and has made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. What are you saying? I know that doesn't sound like a song of victory. Lord, you were slain on Calvary. Lord, you're the blood. Your blood was shed. Lord, the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. I want, Lord, you got them. Lord, you did them in. Lord, you killed them. Lord, you vindicated. But you know what my victory song is? Thank God for the blood. Thank God for the blood. No matter what I'm facing, no matter what I'm going through, I don't know why I'm going through it. I don't know. It seems like the heavens are brass. It seems like I don't know which way to turn, but thank God for the blood. Why? Why is that your victory? Because I know that I know that the only one that was worthy to bring deliverance and complete change in my life is the blood that was shed on Calvary. That's why I can pray even in the midst of a storm, even in the midst of a trial, even in the midst of whatever I'm going through. I have a song that I can sing. Thank God for the blood. You say, well, is that victory? I want to tell you all of a sudden, I, I, I taught on Wednesday night about sitting in the presence of the Lord. I want to tell you, when you start thanking God for his grace and his mercy and his kindness, it'll transform the way you think. It'll transform the way you walk, the way you talk, because God's been so good to me. You say, well, that doesn't feel victorious. That was an execution. That was Jesus was hung on the cross. That wasn't victory. As a matter of fact, Simon Peter was very upset about that. He said, no, I'll die for you, but I'm not... I'm not, I'll die fighting, but I'm not going to die that way. I'm not going that way, Lord. And what he didn't realize is that was the greatest victory that we've ever had was that one day the blood was shed. Whatever I'm going through, I, I'm battling that fear. I'm battling anxiety. I'm battling depression. I'm battling frustration. I'm battling addiction. I'm battling... Thank God for the blood that's able to wash. Thank God for the blood that's able to transform me. But you, you don't understand. I, I was raised a certain way, and I have these habits, and I've got this problem, and I thank God for the blood. That's my song of victory. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor. You are 
worthy, O oh Lord, to take the book. What are you saying? I, I don't know. I, I don't know how to get through all the evil. I, I don't Why hasn't God shown up? Let me tell you, he did show up on Calvary so he could make a difference in my life, so that he could make a difference in your life, so that he could fill me with his spirit. What a privilege. You say, but it doesn't feel always like victory. I, I understand. But you keep singing the song. Glory, Lord, that song is going to resonate through heaven. Lord, we looked for somebody that was worthy. And somebody said it's the lion of the tribe of David, of Judah. And he said, I looked for a lion. And what did I see? A little tiny lamb. And I said, that can't be. That's not victory. <laughs> but then they realized, thou art worthy. You hath redeemed us by your blood. Oh, I'm telling you, it doesn't look like a whole lot, but that little lamb was able to bring total deliverance, total redemption, 